0: When I walk through the gates of a cemetery, I always wonder what will lie on the other side. History is there, so much love and loss, but also joy and remembrance. Having a big beautiful marker to remember you by is so amazing, an epitaph, a quote, scripture, or poem. You feel like you can know a little bit about a person. But what about the simple stones with just a name? What do you feel? And what about those areas of nothing but dirt or grass or a pile of stones that is all that is left to remember someone by? What lies beneath? And whom? This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. half of files happy new year i'm your host lachelle and my co-host today is taylor welcome my love hey i'm back so glad that we're in
1: 2022
0: <laughs> we hope it's a good one
1: we can hope
0: pray. <laughs> <laughs> yes the last couple have not been super for our family or for anybody else's, <laughs> else we're just gonna take it as it comes aren't we <laughs> Onward and upward, starting a new year. (laughs) We're going to go forward positively. Last spring break, Dallin and I went to visit Taylor and Marcus while they were living in Texas. And Marcus came to pick us up from the airport, and we were driving back to their place. And he was telling us about all these things that he had thought of Mm -hmm. for all of us to do. We could do an escape room and hike at a park, go to an antique mall, which I love. Check out some architecture in the historic (laughs) district. And, of course, one of those things was a cemetery visit. (laughs) I was so happy. And I was like, Marcus, it's like you know me or something.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he was asking me about all those things before because he was planning it. I was like, well, you know my mom's going to be so happy if there's anything historical or anything
0: cemetery-wise. So it'll be good. I like old things, I guess.
1: But at that time, we lived near Tyler, Texas, and that site actually has quite a bit of history over Mm -hmm. there, which was really cool to see. And some of it we didn't even really know that much about, but we decided to explore it while you guys were with us. And so we knew you would love it, too, of course. (laughs) And there's quite a few cemeteries in the area, but we decided on Oakwood Cemetery. And it's a beautiful historic cemetery, and it's quite large from what I remember
0: yeah it was roughly eight and a half acres which to us seemed pretty big now that I've been now <laughs> to that we've been to huge ones not so much. I'm like yeah okay I, we saw lots almost all of this cemetery and but that's you know it was good that way mm-hmm. you could see everything
1: yeah Oakwood has more than 2,000 inscribed tombstones they have a station with brochures of notable graves and parts of the cemetery, which we didn't actually find until, like, after we toured the whole cemetery. <laughs> we're such dorks. After, we're like, I wonder if there's any historical people here. And then we found that like, and looked uh, at it, and we're like, we're done.
0: <laughs> Idiots. So we didn't follow the rule of go to the cemetery office or look for some kind of a station or something holding... <laughs> brochures so notes for later always do that now i always look whenever i Mm -hmm. go to one because i know about that it was a rookie mistake yeah
1: they also give live tours during tyler's spring azalea trail which is gorgeous which we did some of it yeah we. but it wasn't during springtime really well it was just after the huge Mm -hmm. winter apocalypse in texas exactly where everything <laughs> the ice-pocalypse, froze. Yeah. the ice
0: apocalypse the ice apocalypse yes <laughs> yeah. everything froze no one Snow, could get yeah food or yeah so there was really terrible or power
1: yeah was there terrible. wasn't so much like pretty spring flowers anymore it
0: was just starting to come back I mean, yeah the trees were blooming you remember they had Yeah. White, purple mm-hmm. blooms those on were beautiful them and, but all the historic homes and kind of the area there around mm-hmm. where Oakwood was really was pretty and those are my big, favorite gorgeous historic homes yeah that I wanted to buy <laughs> and make into a bed and breakfast yeah. it's like we looked at, like, every <laughs> we looked
1: at every single one there was one for sale and we even looked at it yeah. but it was like already an escrow or something yes. but it was so gorgeous I wanted it so, so beautiful some people on the trail are reenactors and they dress up And they tell stories of some of the notable citizens in that area. And inside the cemetery is also Beth El Cemetery for those buried there of Jewish descent. So it had its
0: own little enclosed. Yeah, it had a gate and everything Mm -hmm. within. So it was a cemetery within the cemetery. Yeah. And it was really, it was really beautiful and a lot of symbols there too. Um, So I kind of thought. That just needs to be its own separate. <laughs> it almost was its what own idea. separate cemetery mm-hmm. within a cemetery. John Lawler set aside the five
1: acres for a burying ground when he bought his brother Isaac's land grant in 1846. When John sold the land, it was stipulated in the deed that those five acres were reserved for a cemetery. Many, many markers have been lost over the years, but the oldest marked grave now is that a four-year-old P.M. Scott. Who died in 1852.
0: So many interesting graves to talk about. Emir Hamvasi was a count in Hungary when he left his homeland for political reasons and found his way to Tyler, where he became its first Episcopal rector. Huh! Then there was Cynthia Rabb. She was a former slave and a house servant of the John A. Brown family. Ms. Rab was an African-American woman born into slavery in Florida in 1815. Wow. She was given the last name Rab because it was the last name of her owners Mm. there in Florida, a common practice of the time. But what I thought was really interesting is that she was buried with the family in the Brown family plot because she was so dear to them. Ms. Rab's gravestone reads, our beloved black mammy. It's unknown when or how she died, but she wasn't buried in the black section. enslaved section. Yeah. She was buried in their family plot with their family. So Interesting. Among those buried in Oakwood
1: is a veteran of the War of 1812, the Mexican War of 1846, a Texas governor, Richard B. Hubbard, and veterans of all the wars sense. So as we kind of like delved into earlier, <laughs> one of the helpful things to do that when you go and see a cemetery is, again, go and see the office and make sure there's any info or brochures, because many of even the larger cemeteries, they might have live tours, maps, information pamphlets, or even audio tours that you can go and check out.
0: Right. Many have an app that you can download And just listen to as you walk throughout the cemetery. And that's really cool. Such a great way to find out about the people there. They've already found the stories. And you can listen to them Mm -hmm. while you're there. Instead of, like I usually do, and go home and try to
1: (laughs) dig into
0: who were these people. And you go back and look at every single
1: picture you ever took. And look at every single name. Yeah. See if there's anything Mm -hmm. to learn about them. Yeah, that'd be a lot easier.
0: So like we said, we got a little excited and we missed the (laughs) brochures, but it would have been really helpful. One of Oakwood's
1: brochures and map leads you along a series of headstones, a self-guided tour. It's called the Blue and Gray Trail, Civil War veterans, both Confederate and Union soldiers. There are over 231 unmarked graves of Confederate soldiers who died in or near Tyler during the war between the states. Most of the men died at a camp nearby due to conditions there, measles, dysentery, and illnesses. Yeah.
0: Not to wounds caused by combat. That's kind of crazy, like 231 men died... Because of illnesses? In the war, but were not in a battle.
1: Yeah, that's, that's awful. Sad, it just shows that? you what their living conditions were, mm-hmm. how bad it was. Yeah. There is a large monument... Commemorating the Confederate soldiers of Smith County. The statue is made of marble and is of a common enlisted Confederate soldier in uniform, with a hat, mustache, and beard, mm-hmm. with a knapsack across his body, holding his musket in front of him. It was constructed by craftsmen in Italy. The statue was unveiled in June 1909 to a crowd of 5,000 people. Wow.
0: And that area there where all of those men are buried, remember, was also just a grassy, not a field. It wasn't that huge, but yeah. big enough for 230 yeah. men. But um, they had like
1: planted really nice trees around mm-hmm. it. It was very beautiful. It was beautiful, I guess I but I forgot not individual there was, headstones. Yeah, I guess I forgot there was people buried in that section. Like I remember the statue... Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily remember that there was
0: people buried in that section, but that's interesting. So it's just an open grassy area where all of those men were buried. I love cemeteries from the 1800s. There's so many interesting examples of Victorian era symbolism, sculptures, and art. One of my favorites from this cemetery is the Gates-Ajar motif on headstones that are after the 1870s. This was one of the first cemeteries I had visited after learning about this type of headstone motif. And so it just was so cool to come across some and see how many different versions of it there were here. I'm going to do a whole episode on this at some point, but to explain the motif Gates Ajar, there was a popular book published around this time called Gates Ajar by Elizabeth Stuart Phelps about a young woman, very distraught, after all the death, during the Civil War. She was wondering where her beloved brother was after death, and she was grieving. In the book, her aunt tells her that heaven's gates are not closed, they are ajar. And that the people who have gone before are there and doing the things that they used to enjoy doing and that they're still very much aware of us. This gave her so much comfort. And this book gave so many real people so much comfort. It became a sensation. 80,000 copies were sold in America by 1900, and 100,000 copies were sold in England during the same time period. And then there were so many items that people made. It was almost like there was merch for (laughs) Gates Ajar merch. (laughs) And they had clothing, there were songs written about it. Wow. There was floral pieces. So it would be the Gates ajar floral piece oh. or funerary wow. you know, art. Fancy. And they also put the idea on tombstones. Mm-hmm. So if you come across one of these headstones, you will know it by the carving in the stone. It has two slightly open gates. They look like mm-hmm. beautiful gates that you would yeah. expect to be heaven's gates. Usually with a path leading up to it. And then usually there is a motif above the gates. And this is different Mm -hmm. many, many times. Just a different idea of what they put above.
1: Yeah, sometimes it was like a landscape. Mm -hmm. Other times it was like cloud kind Mm -hmm. of cover. I didn't ever see one that was exactly alike when we were there.
0: Well, in Tyler's Oakwood Cemetery, we saw quite a few, Mm -hmm. and this cemetery is just that perfect timeline for this type of headstone because of the years that it was used. Mm -hmm. One of the stones had three lilies above the gates, and when you see three of anything on a headstone, it usually represents the trinity or the godhead. Interesting. Lilies also symbolize purity. The sweet and innocent beauty of the lily has given it the association of fresh life and rebirth. Oh. So there's also kind of a resurrection oh, idea to the lilies. As okay.
1: Well. That makes sense because then we see them around Easter time
0: yeah. a lot, which is the Easter whole idea lowest. of yeah. Easter. Exactly.
1: There was also
0: another one that had the gates and hand coming down out of the cloud above the gates. It's really cool. The hand was holding a plant or something and reaching down. And when you see a hand coming down through a cloud, that almost always represents the hand of God. Mm-hmm. That they makes didn't sense. They did draw representations of God in those days. Yeah. And so just the hand with the clouds, you knew mm-hmm. that that was God. Then it said above that, come unto me. Which is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. He says that phrase a lot. So if you look at the dates on Gates Ajar Stones, if they're referring to the book, the dates will be after 1870. Oh, okay. All the ones we saw this time were after the turn of the century, so it was exciting to come across something that you've read or researched about. And then to see it and understand its meaning, it was pretty exciting. So it's a little like a treasure hunt studying headstones, Mm -hmm. I think
1: you almost feel like you understand a little bit more about the person that was actually buried there, or at least their loved ones that buried them there, and what Mm -hmm. they're trying to tell us about them when we understand the symbols. As you probably know by now, everybody... My mom looks for angel statues at every single cemetery, which I don't blame you. I do the same thing. <laughs> they're the coolest things in the cemeteries usually
0: because they're so beautiful. just want to spend so much time and take all the pictures. Yeah. And...
1: Well, part of it, I think, is because in the older cemeteries, that was more common. And now that, you know, whenever we go to funerals, we've always been in like more modern cemeteries. There's mm-hmm. no statuary. It's just like a slab of stone. And that's really it. Yeah. Whereas back then they had beautiful statues and lots of symbolism. Yeah, which it's makes so it cool. So That's why cool. we love
0: going to the older cemeteries. I think too. I mean, we've grown up in the West, mm-hmm, and we didn't really have that. <laughs> they just didn't, you know, it wasn't during that time period. Yeah. that there was a lot of wealthy people. Mm-hmm. And the West isn't as old as the east side of the country mm-hmm. too. So, and the burials just were kind of like. All right, this cow punch get him died. The ground. And get them in the ground. Yeah, and maybe most people love the angels, but I just, oh, I just love the big, beautiful wings <laughs> and the different poses, the symbology, all the little details, like just the smoothness of the skin or the complex hair that they have and mm-hmm. the curls and the folds of their robes. Just all the talent yeah. of the carver themselves. So just even as a piece of artwork, you have to really, you know, appreciate that.
1: Oh yeah, there's so much talent, and I can only imagine how much work that would take to make these beautiful sculptures.
0: Other than tombstones, the angel is the symbol most often associated with cemeteries. They're usually thought of as messengers from God, intermediaries, but also protectors and guardians. And they can usher loved ones to heaven... Mm -hmm. And they can bring comfort to those of us left here. And they can also symbolize hope
1: and -hmm. resurrection.
0: So I like to look for clues as to what kind of angel it is. And it may just be that, a beautiful angel. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of clues that you can look at. Like if the angel has a sword and possibly a shield, it could be the archangel Michael. Mm. Interesting. If it's holding a trumpet, it may be the angel Gabriel. And many of the winged statues are actually virtues, like the seven virtues. Oh. Which you can find versions that are winged or not, but those also have a bunch of clues. When a statue of a person or a virtue has wings on it, it's just a way of saying that they are holy or say if the sculpture is of a child and has wings, It's a way of saying that they are now in heaven and are therefore holy. So it's not always believed that angels have wings.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So just take the wings for holiness and that they're from heaven or now in heaven, Mm -hmm. basically. Okay. At Oakwood, there is a smaller sized statue of a childlike angel with wings and hands in prayer, which symbolizes religious faith. It has the name Bergfeld underneath. And a few feet away are the family graves with individual headstones of Augusta, Ellen, White, Bergfeld, and her husband.
0: I also loved the Kane family plot, and there were three very beautiful sculptures. One is for John R. Kane, a young man that died in the prime of life. His is an angel with wings and flowing robes. And she has a book in her hand, and in the other hand, a feathered pen. I do remember that one. And she's looking up thoughtfully, and the symbolism here is angels with a book, and especially with a feathered pen, represent a celestial scribe. Because of course an angel would only hold a feathered (laughs) pen. (laughs) (laughs) So I think... This looks like it would probably be a recording angel. And sure enough, looking down at the inscription, it said, God will deliver his people, everyone whose name is written in the book. John Cain was 27 when he passed in 1890. And it says under his death date, death loves a shining mark. What does that even mean? I'm not sure. (laughs) Uh, Well, think about the book and the angel. And she's marking in the book of life. The good things that you've done, maybe the good deeds, mm-hmm. the the good things. So maybe it's her shining mark. You know, oh. maybe he left this earth with a good shining marks, mark, with a good report card. <laughs> I'm not really sure, but good that's... job, John Kane. You did it. <laughs> Here are some excerpts from his obituary, which I love it when you can find obituaries because yes. they give you a glimpse into the person and their whole family. Yeah. So this was from smith county texas christian advocate newspaper september 4th 1890 in the carter house the beautiful hotel of the classic city of champaign illinois on august 8th 1890 at two thirty p.m was a sad sad and most affecting scene it was the death of the brilliant young john r kane of tyler texas He was surrounded by his devoted father, mother, and sister, his four physicians, the proprietor of the hotel, and a few acquaintances. Conscious up to the very hour of his death, he talked of being reconciled to die and go to his home in heaven, to go to him in whom he had been taught to believe since a child. He thanked the doctors and friends for their kindness, and turned to his broken-hearted, loving mother and father, as they gazed for the last time upon the living form of their youngest child. Mm, I know, it's so sad. He bade them and his loving sister farewell, then peacefully fell asleep in the arms of Jesus. It was by chance he happened in Champaign, going north with the Knights of Pythias excursionists from Dallas, Texas to their national conclave at Milwaukee, And feeling badly, he stopped over to rest and was taken sick with typhoid malarial fever and patiently struggled with this fearful disease for 32 days. At least it wasn't yellow fever. (laughs) (laughs) We don't even have to say the word and you brought it up. I'm
1: sorry. (laughs) I did it. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) He was born November 24th, 1863 and died August 8th, 1890. He was a single man. In this historic and rather famous city of Texas, he spent his youth. Being a young man of remarkable business capacities and strong character, his father made him, when quite young, a full partner in his fire insurance business in Tyler. Hmm. He succeeded so well in this business that he also formed a partnership in the fire insurance business with John B. Herford Jr. of Dallas in 1889 and soon became extremely popular in this great Texas city and by his superior abilities as a businessman, assisted very materially in making the firm of Herford and Kane one of the strongest in the state. His corpse was brought home by his parents and Mr. and Mrs. C.W. Coons, which was his sister and brother-in-law. Oh, okay. And on the 11th of August was laid to rest by his family and friends of Tyler and Dallas, Reverend Dr. R.S. Finley, a distinguished Methodist preacher, performing the ceremonies. He is buried in
1: Greenwood Cemetery.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: I've seen that name, and I'm pretty positive I have a picture of his grave.
0: Oh, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> Isn't that crazy when we find these, these Little, crossovers? Yeah. It just shows you that it's a small world.
1: Well, and those places aren't, like, too far apart They're either. Not. Tyler and Dallas is, like, maybe a two-hour drive, one yeah. and a half.
0: In those days, it was a little bit farther. But well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. on horseback. <laughs> a covered wagon, you know. Yeah. Such was the popularity of this young man and the esteem of his noble, pure Christian family that the funeral was one of the largest that ever occurred in Tyler. Thus passed away a young man, the pride and joy of his family, one who had but few equals considering his age in the business world, one of the most brilliant in Texas, and would soon have been one of the brightest stars in the state. He was a young man of strong moral character, of high honor, and of those distinguishing characteristics that made him a model in every respect. He was the youngest of the four children of the family, two sons and two daughters, His father, W.G. Kane of Tyler, is one of the leading and most influential citizens of eastern Texas. And his family is beloved by everyone. To this model family, in their distress and bereavement, friends offer condolence, and especially do the young associates of Dallas who admired and loved their noble young friend. Present their profoundest sympathies by a Dallas friend.
1: Oh, I like how it says a Dallas friend at the end. Yeah.
0: That was so cute. I also love how everything they said was just so classy and they mm-hmm. did everything so classy in the old bereavement days.
1: Bereavement and.
0: You know, in the yeah. bereavement. We're so common now. We're so. They just, were sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, family is sad right now. They're yeah. mourning. But just flowery, just so yeah. many ways to describe how intelligent and good and strong and smart he was yeah so on his mother's headstone
1: sarah ann butler Kane, this says her children arise and call her blessed her husband also and he praiseth her amiable she won all intelligent she charmed all fervent she loved all and dead she saddened all wow that's a good one i I love it really i remember that one and seeing it and us just being like Yeah. That's a good
0: one. I mean, if you had to have something written on your stone Yeah to say that everyone loved you. Yeah. And that your children after you die, you know, they'll rise up Mm -hmm. and call you blessed. That yeah. You'd feel like you really did your job. You really did
1: your job. Well we (laughs) were also joking because at that time we had saw on some headstones where it just said like so and so's wife instead of like her name. (laughs) And we'd be like If you ever put that on my headstone, I'm going to be so mad at you. (laughs) That's
0: right. You're like, you better not just put Mrs. Marcus Wilkins. (laughs) I have a name. I'm going to be
1: so upset with you. So something like that was really cool to see, too, because she, like, was very adored, obviously. So true. But her husband, Colonel Washington Gray Cain's epitaph, reads, Affection weeps, heaven rejoices, and below a scripture from the New Testament the book of John, chapter 14, verse 20. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father.
0: Nice That's you. a
1: good one, too. Yeah.
0: It was really beautiful. And between their headstones is another wonderful angel. And she has wings that are pointing up. She's wearing flowing robes, just beautiful craftsmanship. And she's holding up part of her robes in one hand, and in the folds of the robe are just full of flowers. And her other har- arm is raised with what looks like a flower in her hand that she will drop. Oh, do you remember that? Yeah. It's kind of pointed downward with a little flower in her hand. Mm-hmm. Really beautiful. So beautiful, in fact, she's found two times in the cemetery. Wait. What do you mean? Are you joking? <laughs> 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 well, I was wondering why I kept getting confused with some of the photos that I took of the trip. Uh huh. And I was like, wait, which angel is this? Isn't this the Cain angel? And then I would look up some of the other ones and I'd be like, well, why is there this tree in the background? I thought it was clear. And I mm-hmm. just kept getting confused. And it finally hit me that there were two statues that were almost the same. there's just a few little differences crazy and so i'll be posting them on the blog and the social media and i'm going to challenge you all to find what the differences of the two angels are Ooh. So there's the cane angel and the other one belongs to the wolderts and there's a large base at the bottom that says woldert and then on that base they have two headstones one for the husband one for the wife and they're about six to eight inches apart there's a little space there in between them and then there's this really lovely piece that arches over from each of their stones connecting them above in this beautiful arch that says, our parents. And on her side, it is decorated with lilies and on his side with roses. And then at the top of the arch, a grapevine. Then on the outer four corners above that piece are four urns and they have flames coming out of them. they're about 12 inches tall. Then, above that, finally rises the angel, and she's four to five feet tall, I would assume. She also, like the cane angel, has the flowing robes and flowers held in the robe folds with the raised hand. I'm just estimating about all these measurements, but the monument must be about 12 feet tall. It's really quite tall. It really is kind of one of my favorite stones that i found. I just really love how it's put together with the, each individual headstone, but then connecting with the arch and then with the angel above. It's just really classy, unique, and really so beautiful. So both of these angels, they look almost exactly alike, and so... Obviously, that's why I kept getting confused. I hadn't figured that out when I saw each of them, that they looked so much alike till I got home and was looking at the photos. I'll tell you all about the Wolderts on another episode, but make sure to check out the angels on social media. Now, there's another angel in Oakwood Cemetery that is really magnificent. She is called the Goodman Angel
1: the Goodman angels for Mary Priscilla Gaston Goodman In her obituary. We learned a little about her and it says just as the old year passed out and the new was ushered in Mrs. Priscilla Gaston Goodman devoted wife, sainted mother and handmaiden of Christ departed to be with him, which is far better. It was the triumphant ending of a life that was transparently pure, a life sanctified and sweetened by pain a life eminently fitted for larger service above. Mrs. Goodman was the daughter of Colonel Robert Kirkpatrick Gaston and Letitia Suddith Gaston and was born January 13, 1847. Her ancestors were from South Carolina, though her father moved from Mississippi to Anderson County, Texas in 1849 and later in 1860 to Mount Sylvan, Texas. On February 12, 1867, She was married to Dr. William Jeffries Goodman and came as a bride to the home in this city from which she was called to her heavenly home. Four children were born to this union. The oldest daughter, Berta, died in childhood. The three surviving her are Mrs. J.H. Legrand of Dallas, Texas, Will Gaston Goodman, and Miss Etta G. Goodman of this city. Any attempt to portray the beauties of the sweet, simple, devoted life of this mother in Israel here would be as futile as the endeavor to put on canvas the gorgeous colors and glories of some autumnal sunset scene. For she reigned as a queen in the home. She reveled like a child in the affection of unnumbered friends. And like Mary of old, broke the box of precious spikenard of her heart's deepest love in lavish waste That was beautiful upon him who was the king of her heart and life. With the sorrowing husband and children, we weep and with them rejoice in the precious legacy she has left us. By a friend. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Again, this one was super eloquent. This was like extra, extra. It was extra (laughs)
0: for the beautiful lady that she was. Yeah. It had to be extra beautiful. So the Goodman house is still there in Tyler, and it's a museum. We actually could have toured it, but didn't really know know about it. (laughs) It was originally built in 1859 as a one-story four-room house, and it was established on a nine-acre wooded parcel of land. It was known as Bonnie Castle by its first owner. Kind of (laughs) cute. And in 1866, a year after the Civil War ended, Dr. Samuel Adams Goodman... A retired country doctor from South Carolina bought the home. And the following year, in 1867, his son, Dr. William Jeffries Goodman, who was also a local doctor and Civil War major and chief surgeon, bought the house from his father and moved in with this new bride, Mary Priscilla Gaston. She's the one the obituary is about yeah. and who has the beautiful angel in the cemetery. So,
1: interesting side note. <laughs> if any of you have listened to our episodes her brother was william henry gaston he was a founder of the city of dallas and one of dallas's first millionaires and we told his story in episode 12 such a cool coincidence yeah so wild which when I, I remember when we were doing research about it i remember seeing like oh dang like his family his parents some of his siblings are totally buried in oakwood and i knew we had been there
0: mm-hmm. before but it's just like so crazy. It's one of those... It literally came up in the story that I was telling and out of all the people that were buried there. Yeah. <laughs> For 73 years and four generations, this prominent family made the house their family home. William and Priscilla Goodman raised three children in the home. They added the second story to the house in the Italianate-style architecture around 1880. Their oldest child and daughter, Sally Gertrude Goodman, married James H. Legrand in October 1893. She and her husband lived here throughout their lives. In 1926, Sally and her husband remodeled the house to its current state, which is more of the classical revival-style architecture. Mm -hmm. When Sally Goodman Legrand died in 1939, she was the last direct heir to live in the house, and upon her death, she bequeathed the Goodman Legrand estate, the land, home, and all the furnishings to the city of Tyler with instructions to maintain the historic family home and keep it open and use as a public museum. Oh! So today, the home is still furnished with the original belongings of the Goodman Legrand family, some of which are older than the house itself, and they date back to the early 1800s.
1: Wow, that's crazy. So I also found some information about Dr. Samuel A. Goodman. So that's William's father. The first man that
0: bought the house. Mm -hmm. And he's also buried in In Oakwood Oakwood Cemetery.
1: It's said that he was one of the most (laughs) distinguished citizens of Smith County and who was well known throughout this section of the state. Died at the family home. I don't know if I'd want to live in a home where... My family member had died.
0: But you gotta think, back in those days, I know it was normal. Because someone died, it happened all the time. I know, (laughs) it's just weird. (laughs) I know, it would be hard, I think. (laughs) I agree.
1: So he died at the family home in this city on the evening of April 23rd, 1902. Dr. Goodman's death was an easy one, and life passed out like a peaceful, tranquil river. (laughs) Uh Now that's the way we all wanna go. That is the way we all wanna go. he was surrounded by his son, Dr. Goodman, and other relatives. He was born October 22nd, 1805, near Nashville, Tennessee, within a few miles of General Andrew Jackson's old home, now known as the Hermitage. When about 20 years of age, he went to South Carolina, where he studied medicine and practiced his profession in Union District, South Carolina, for 35 years. Owning at the same time farming interest. In 1857, he retired from the practice of medicine and moved to Smith County, Texas, where he devoted his entire time to farming and in which he made a success. He was systematic in everything he undertook. He was a strong advocate of the Southern Confederacy and while then advanced in years and not in field service himself, He made a faithful soldier in helping provide for those in the front and the loved ones they left at home. Both his sons were in the Confederate Army. He remained on his farm until 1874 when he sold his entire farm interest and moved to Tyler. Investing his means in property here where he resided until his death. He had a clear and systematic mind and was very fond of reading and had an unusual memory. (laughs) It was remarkable how he recollected the dates and inventors of the many different inventions and discoveries that had been made during the period of his life, and which period covers more inventions and improvements than any 1,000 years of the world's history before. He was always kind and thoughtful of those in his service, and when his slaves were freed, although he had quite a large number of them, they all except two remained with him as long as his farm, covering a period of nine years after they were liberated. Among those surrounding his open grave was the faithful old woman, Celia Lipscomb, who has been in his service and employ as a house girl and their cook about 73 years. 73 Wow.
0: Years. Probably since she was a baby. She was probably born into it. Let's just go back to only two left i mean once they were freed they could have gone
1: mm-hmm. they could have and gone left. away
0: they could have gone anywhere but they still wanted to be with them and that's interesting unless they didn't really think like i have nowhere else, I have to, nowhere go. else to go there is there is that of course yeah There um, might be
1: a little bit of both going on there where it was like someone but it wasn't say, so
0: bad that they couldn't stand that they had to there. like run
1: away no matter what mm-hmm. yeah His first vote was cast for Andrew Jackson for President of the United States, who was his father's neighbor and personal friend. Since that time, he has kept fully posted in the political events of his country, though never aspiring to any office himself. He married Miss P.C. Jeffries, February 11, 1830. They had five children. The first two died in infancy. The others were William J. Samuel A. Jr., and Sarah R. P. The latter died in South Carolina at the age of 14 years. His wife died September 21st, 1899. One son, Dr. William J. Goodman, survives him. Oh my gosh, so out of all of the kids, he's the last one?
0: So he watched his wife and four children go before him.
1: That's awful. He is well known and a prominent citizen of Tyler. He lived a consistent Christian
0: life. And the inscription says, in the 97th year of his age. Holy, back then, that would have been like unheard of. That is impressive in those days to live to 97 years old. So that's how Celia, they could have known each other 73 years. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's he crazy. 97.
0: So I just thought. That they were kind of interesting, and it, it's mm-hmm. interesting to hear all those different ins and outs. And a lot of times you don't hear a lot of stories about the relationship between people and those they enslaved, or what stories were. And this had a few little tidbits. Yeah. I wish there was more. So someone that I found kind of interesting was a lady by the name of Dana Chadwick Layton. I read about her in the pamphlet (laughs) (laughs) that the cemetery had after we left the cemetery. And so I'm sorry to say that I didn't notice her headstone among the others. But I became interested in her story. Her father was named Hugh Chadwick, who came to Tyler following his retirement from a successful business career at the relatively young age of 45. He was known to have served honorably in the Union Army between the war between the states. And unlike much of the South, the Tyler community actually accepted this Illinois Yankee when he (laughs) moved there in 1870. And he was mannerly as any Southern gentleman. He drilled a 90-foot deep water well on his property. Apparently, it was the talk of the town and would later sell some property for home sites that would share in his ample water supply. His Hmm. daughter, Dana, was born in Tyler in 1878. Dana loved drawing and art. And she convinced her parents to let her move to San Francisco to pursue an artistic career. She was young, 20 years old wide-eyed and excited for the adventure of the big city and her art career. Seven years later, she married John Layton. One year later, however, a horrific tragedy strikes when at 5.12 a.m. on April 18, 1906, San Franciscans were awakened by a terrific jolt that lasted 45 seconds. As that foreshock ended, they had about 10 seconds of calm before another much stronger quake struck for up to a full minute. San Francisco lies Mm -hmm. on... the San Andreas fault. (laughs) It does. (laughs) Today, they estimate that the quake was probably 7.8 on the Richter scale. Wow. Buildings swayed crazily and their facades crashed to the ground, making giant clouds of dust that was hard to breathe in making me think of 9-11 when Mm -hmm. the towers fell and there was just a huge dust cloud of debris. The roads rolled and waved. Giant fissures in the earth opened up. Draft horses out in the street ran in terror. The people were on a terrible ride that they could not get off of. The survivors described the sound like a freight train. Wow. I just can't even imagine the noise and the fear and the mayhem that happened. It was a nightmare. On the surface, some buildings looked fine while others were a pile of bricks that was left in the street. This was due mostly to how the bay had originally filled in to make land. They had used rocks, timber, loose dirt, just filling it in, Mm -hmm. making it usable, And when these quakes occurred, it became like a soft pudding, lacking cohesion. And so there was no stability. So the buildings on top crumbled during the quake. Terrible fires broke out everywhere. The firehouse had a wall fall on top of it. And so the firemen were not able to get out to help. Water mains were broken. There was mass confusion and fear. So our Dana and John were in the middle of all of this devastation. Dana was somehow separated from John. And the following days, she would go on searches to find him. Oh, no. I know. Now, this is so crazy. During one of her searches, she was knocked unconscious by a gas main exploding nearby. Whoa. Her hearing was permanently damaged by the explosion. It was so loud. In all her searches, she never found her husband, John. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. It's so sad.
1: (laughs) I know. That's sad. Poor thing. Imagine going through something like that and then not even knowing what happened to your husband. I mean, hopefully he wasn't a jerk and just decided, well, it's my chance to get on up (laughs) out of here. You know what I mean? But But nowadays we have cell phones where I could just call Marcus over and over and over and over again and be like, where are you? Until so hopefully I would get a mm-hmm. response or he could find some way to
0: contact me, but they didn't even have a way to yeah. contact each other. And really, I mean, even now when there's floods or 9-11 or some of these things happen, like they couldn't even get a hold of their loved ones. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people who I guess, even yeah, their loved true. ones were alive, like phones were down and. Power and everything that's and fair. it just that's so terrifying to not know what happened to your loved one and I haven't had to ever experience that yet I hope I never do so I was just like no. holy crap she was in the great earthquake in San Francisco I know that's like, crazy what they estimated that the death toll was around 3,000 people but modern no. historians say it's closer to 4,000 actually wow 250,000 people were rendered homeless. Wow. So our Dana had little choice but to return home alone back to Tyler, Texas. She had family, you know. She did. She moved back in with her parents and she took a job there in Tyler, cutting hair at a barber shop in the square. Oh. However, men in Tyler in 1906 They weren't really that fond of female barbers, and they did not approve of her working or cutting their hair. Boo. And so she quit the job and never worked again. (laughs) What? (laughs)
1: Nope. I'm making a face, and you (laughs) guys can't even see it, so I realized I had to make like a sound. That's just so dumb. So dumb. Poor thing, like, had no way of... Making a living, and she was trying to make a living. And these guys were like, "Mm, We don't want
0: women cutting our hair. Yeah, they don't understand. 1906. Stupid. So her (laughs) life became one of solitude at her parents' home where she made dresses and continued to sketch and work on her art. Mm. When her brother died in 1951, I mean, this is a lot of years later, Mm -hmm. you know, 30 something years. Local merchants had to help with the funeral expenses because she was so poor. When she passed away in 1965, her gravesite remained unmarked until her footstone was later installed by the Oakwood Cemetery Restoration Committee.
1: That's sad. All because those jerks didn't want to let her
0: cut their hair. (laughs) I know. Jerks. Like many other people, she didn't have a big, beautiful angel standing over her grave. She didn't even have a marker for a long Mm -hmm. time, but she did have a beautiful life.
1: Had one, but a beautiful one, so. Yeah.
0: Oh, poor thing. She had one year with
1: her love. So another section of the cemetery was also filled with graves with no markers. It was the area that was reserved for the enslaved and their descendants. It's a grassy area with a few headstones and some pretty trees. In the 1930s, it was filled in and leveled, which I believe couldn't have helped out any remaining markers. Right. In 1997, they dedicated a marker that says, quote, On this date, this monument was dedicated to the unnamed Black Americans who lie buried here. This dedication is in recognition of the contributions each of them made to this community and our nation. It's a big, beautiful granite marker. I'm barely holding it together. It was really like a... It was hard. It was a hard plate. Like, you could just still, like, even now, just, like, thinking about it. It's making me cry again. It was a strong feeling, mm-hmm. standing there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, like, started bawling there, too. Right. As many of you know, my husband is
0: black. And it just like, I don't know, it spoke to me in a different way. It did. It it struck us really hard. And as we were walking in the area, like I turned to you and I say, this area with no (laughs) markers is somehow much sadder than the other parts of the cemetery with all of the markers and the sad goodbyes and the loving words and the symbols. Yeah. And Taylor was like, I'm just trying to hold it together <laughs> here, it's too sad. And she starts bawling and I start bawling. What? And we're, like, hugging and hugging and yeah. crying. And It's Mom. just hard,
1: too, because they weren't treated like humans, like most of those other people that were white, <laughs> were buried in the rest of the cemetery where they had these beautiful, sweet words said about them. And then there was just these people that they just basically, like, mass-buried in the ground and didn't even care enough to give them a headstone or a marker of any kind. It was just like, just a very, very strong, sad feeling.
0: We had to just kind of imagine the stories and the people that were here and just have that feeling of reverence and honor for them and the lives that they lived.
1: And we talked about how they probably had something placed there at the time, maybe, hopefully, yeah. at the time that they died maybe a wooden cross or a marker of rocks or just grave goods of some kind yeah. but with over a hundred years of weather they definitely didn't last right. and eventually no one knew who was there or even how many
0: were buried there it was it's, a different it's so sad it was a different experience going in that section and we, yeah and so even though there wasn't much that you could really look at, there was this main monument. There were some other markers mm-hmm. that had there been. Was, there was there were a the couple, years, yeah. Less than ten, I would say. But we definitely took the time and just grieved for what they had gone through in their lives and tried to honor them and Yeah. Give them that love and reverence and gratitude for what they had done to help build our country and yeah all that they had stood for and lived through i did find several articles about this section of the cemetery that gave me a little bit of hope and humanity and yeah <laughs> um, felt good an article from the tyler telegraph said that legend has it that the graves were marked until the late 1930s hmm. what happened In the 1940s, the Sexton House was destroyed in a fire, and with it, all of the burial records, which I guess is a common thing that happens. Yeah. So an article I found online written by the Tyler Telegraph in October of 2017 says that they knew that people were in that section, but just didn't know how many exactly or where they were until 2016 the Oakwood Cemetery Restoration Committee received two grants that helped them be able to hire a company with ground-penetrating radar. Mm -hmm. And they were able to discover and mark 179 graves, bringing the total number of known graves to 185. They were also able to mark over in the soldier plot that we were talking about Mm -hmm. where those graves were as well. And so the plan is with the rest of the grant is to mark the unmarked graves, which I just love. This makes me happy. makes me happy too. The committee was contacted by a local funeral home that has historic records in its basement. So if historians can figure out the cemetery's plotting system, they can go through the records and see if the funeral home, was involved in burying any of those people in the section. So in many parts of the cemetery, families, and we still do this today, we purchase a big family lot of the number of burial plots to save on the cost. Mm -hmm. And many of those buried in those family plots are unmarked, never received a headstone. And the article stated that the Restoration Committee, that they're very excited about the project and that they care so much about it and that they want to honor those who are buried at Oakwood.
1: I'm sure that the pandemic hasn't exactly helped this project project. that much because Uh. when we were there in 2021, there wasn't any markers. There wasn't anything going on around there. I really hope that they can find some information and just to be able... To give these people their names so that they can be remembered and
0: their names can be said. Yeah. So that's Oakwood Cemetery. Really beautiful. It was peaceful. There was so many different kinds of Mm -hmm. burials and feelings and we had a good time there that we spent.
1: Yeah, we loved it.
0: And so many, many stories. Every place that we go to, I'm just like, <laughs> wow, I just talked about these three or four people, you know. Hence the podcast. Hence so the that podcast. Would... <laughs> I will, again, never going to run out of stories. <laughs> but um, these are just some of the ones that easily came up and uh, I was able to find and research. And Yeah. So we'll come back again. It was a really interesting place, and it's really worth visiting. So if you're ever oh, yeah. in Tyler, Texas... Just a beautiful city and beautiful place, this Oakwood Cemetery. So, little side note, I have two favorite books to suggest about symbols and we were talking about the cemetery Mm -hmm. symbols. One of them is called Understanding Cemetery Symbols, A Field Guide for Historic Graveyards by Tui Snyder. And she is just a kick. I love Tui and I love her book. She has YouTube videos. She's just really a neat lady and mm-hmm. has several books about Texas. So she's really great. Go and find her website. And the other was called Stories in Stone, A Field Guide to Cemetery Symbolism and Iconography by Douglas Keister.
1: That one is really, really
0: cool. I've looked at mm-hmm. that one. It's just so much symbolism and so much information in that book. You wouldn't think that there would really be that many symbols, but the book is just... Yeah. full of all the different meanings and even each flower and what mm-hmm. they mean and there's just so many symbols and even for the clubs and the organizations yeah. and you know associations that people were in each of those little symbols is a whole thing so still yeah. so much to learn and I don't know all of the symbols for everything in a cemetery you cannot memorize no. that entire book but no way as you go to cemeteries and you see something really interesting, take a photo and then go back. I mean, I, I've taken them with me to cemeteries before, but I usually don't stop in the middle of it and look something up. You get too distracted up. looking at everything. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I quit just bringing them with me and I just take the photos and then go back later uh-huh. and look through them and go what was the deal with this guy in the knight helmet? And then Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, Knights of Pythias. I didn't even know this was a thing, you know? So it's really, really helpful in understanding the many different symbols you'll come across in a graveyard. Especially old ones. Yeah. And I can tell you the more that you understand about it, the more interesting it is to walk Mm -hmm. through a cemetery and tour it. So thank you, Taylor, for hanging out with us today. Of course. No, I always will. (laughs) that's right and for helping me tell the story of Oakwood Cemetery so what do you think friends how do you feel about the different stones the bigger more elaborate stones are for citizens with money, influence and wealth it's easier to find them in the history books and learn their stories their homes are still toured and possessions still seen but what about those with a simple stone and a simple story or those without even a stone or marker to tell us that they lived and how. Sometimes people get lost to time. I love to find their stories and tell them, but sometimes we just can't. And I guess this leaves us with just the old adage, you can't take it with you. When you go from this earth, all that we really leave is what we did with our time here, how we helped others, how we loved others, the relationships we made, and how we inspired the people around us. And that's all we really leave. This was Stones, Bones, and Shadow.
1: You can see photos and more information about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stones, bones, and shadowspodcast.com. Also, don't forget to check us out on Facebook, like us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, and leave us a comment. We love to hear from our listeners.
0: Bring failures all over again. That combination of new lung power, changed voices and boundless energy is-